Welcome to Battlefield Next, a podcast produced and hosted by the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate, devoted to the application of law to the future of armed conflict. Today, we sit down with Command Sergeant Major Joshua Quinton, a 27-year veteran, a Command Sergeant Major of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, and the Commandant of the Non-Commissioned Officer Academy in Charlottesville, Virginia. morning, Command Sergeant Major Quinton. Uh, thank you for joining us today and imparting a little bit of knowledge on uh, your history, where you come from, and, and hopefully also giving us a little bit of insight into where you see the future of the JAG Corps and the Paralegal Corps and, and where you see uh, the future moving. And uh, thanks for joining us as well, because I know you and I go go way back uh, as well, Sergeant Major. Sir, good morning. So good to be here. Uh, I'm sad that you don't have your mustache, but that's okay. At any rate, I'm just glad to be here. Where I want to start is before we get into anything else, everyone knows you as Command Sergeant Major Quinton. Uh, you're, you're an imposing presence uh, when you walk into the room. And aside from Command Sergeant Major Quinton, who is Josh Quinton? Where, where do you come from? Who are you? So I appreciate you going there because um, a lot of people, uh, on first impression, they're just like, oh, my God, I'm not even going to talk to this guy. He's huge. He's got tattoos. He's terrifying. Um, and that to me, I, I don't want to say it hurts my feelings, but it's just like, come on, man, like, give me a shot, right? Give me a chance at least to, to get to know me and then and we can go from there. But Josh Quinton comes from Ontario, California, uh, I was born and raised in California, um, about 30 minutes from the beach, 30 minutes from the mountains, uh, in the Inland Empire. Um, spent a lot of time going to Disneyland and, and the beach, hanging out with friends growing up, playing basketball, uh, played basketball uh, from the time I was five years old, uh, through into my, my first year of college until I quit. Uh, and that was a huge part of my life. And I, I attribute, uh, a lot of who I am to my years playing basketball and the relationships built there, uh, with guys from all walks of life. Um, you know, I feel like that set me up for success in the military. And was, was the height always there? Was that why you, you oh my were God, towards yes, basketball? Yeah. So, my poor kids are going through it now, but growing pains, they are real. Uh, growing pains are real, and I suffered them a lot. I was, let's see, in junior high, getting recruited by the high school coaches because I was 6'4 in eighth grade. And then in the summer between my eighth grade year and ninth grade year, I grew another three inches. Uh, so I showed up my freshman year, 6'7, about 110 pounds, <laughs> a bean pole. So. I uh, got pushed around a lot, but at any rate, I was, I was still able to get up and down the court. Played varsity my freshman year, uh, which was great. Learned a lot. We went to the, the the league championship that year and lost it at the final seconds of the game. So big letdown there. But that, yeah, that's that's kind of where I come from, where I started. And as you transitioned into the to the military, everyone has a different call to service. Some people are more practical. Some people are more philosophical or spiritual, whatever you want to call it. What was your call? What was your reason for for joining, at least initially? So I'm, I'm one of those guys, right? I, I woke up in the morning to the knocking on my front door. Uh, it was a good friend of mine, Ricky Sanchez, uh, who unfortunately just, just passed away a couple weeks ago. But Ricky Ricky and I went to high school together. Uh, we worked at Taco Bell together. We, we had a good time hanging out the last couple of years of high school together. Um, he shows up knocking on my door, and I'm just in a drunken stupor, like waking up, like, how did I get home? I 
first thing I do is pull back my, my curtain to see if my truck was in the backyard. It was, thankfully, but I, st- I didn't know how I got home. Uh, so Ricky comes in, and he had just finished uh, basic training in AIT and was headed off to Fort Riley as an 11 mic uh, mechanized infantryman. And he was so excited. He's like, Josh, you know, you, they pay you, they feed you, they put a roof over your head, and, you know, you get to, to serve the country. And I was like, Phew. at that point, I had already left college. I was just, I was working in the mall, just going nowhere fast. It was, it was not good. So I said, you know what? Hey, let me go talk to this recruiter and see what they have to offer. And so I did, I went and talked to the recruiter and he's like, you know what? Actually, you know, so let me back up. I went to the Navy recruiter first. So I had, uh, my father served as a CB in Vietnam. And then my, one of my best friends growing up, Steve, his dad, Earl was actually on the Pueblo, the USS Pueblo that was taken captive captive in uh north china sea by the by the north koreans and he was held pow for just about a year so i felt that tug towards the navy just because of my dad and then also uh earl because he was like another dad to me back then so i went to the navy and they're like hey bro you're too tall i was like really (laughs) this i was like what about the admiral you know uh david robinson they're like ah well he's kind of a special case but it's 1994 uh you know, we, we're not having a really big surge on a need for people. So maybe talk to one of those other branches across the hall and see what they can do for you. So fine. So went across the hall to the Army. They're like, hell yeah, we'll even give you a $1,000 bonus for signing up 11 X-Ray. I said, bonus, I'm in. So that's that's kind of how I ended up joining the Army right there. So last 20 years have been as a 27 Delta as a paralegal specialist. Um, before that, though, 11 X-Ray, 11 Series, what was that start? What was that start like, uh, and those first seven years of service? That was it was fantastic. I had some of my some of my most fond memories are from when I served as an infantryman. Uh, in fact, yesterday I was going through my, my coin collection and I found I think my very first coin I ever got was uh, from a first sergeant in Echo Company One Five Infantry in Korea, Camp Hovey. Um, but it was great. I showed up to my first duty station in Korea and they said, "Hey, you're you're tall." You look like uh, you could fit in the front seat of a Bradley really well. You're going to be the battalion commander's Bradley driver. And I said, wow, that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, and it was. It was It was cool. You know, I'd, I'd only driven, you know, cars, trucks, uh, you know, an occasional ATC back on the beach in California. Uh, I'd never driven, you know, an Im- infantry personnel carrier. So drove the Bradley for a year. It was great. Uh, I went out into Fort Lewis. And served in 3rd Brigade 2ID. So I stayed in 2ID for the first four years of my, my career. Uh, and 3rd Brigade 2ID, 1st of the 23rd Infantry, was, I think, my favorite time in the Army. Uh, we spent a lot of time training, both in Yakima and at Fort Lewis. A lot of time trying to dry out our, our sleeping bags, you know, because <laughs> it rained a lot. Uh, and and just, just pounding the ground with a lot of great Americans. We had uh, some guys from my company, my platoon, went off to be Green Berets. Uh, someone off to the Ranger Regiment just to do great things for America. It, it was just, I felt like I was a part of something bigger than me, and it was fantastic. And and at some point, you do transition to becoming a paralegal. And why was that decision made, and, and was that a difficult transition for you? So I went to Bosnia in 98 with the 1st Cav, uh, did a lot of, you know, I, it, at that point I had done a lot of rucking, uh, with a lot of heavy stuff. I'd been tossed around the back of a Bradley as a, as a dismount infantryman for a few years. And being 6'8", and, and carrying all that stuff, 
and getting beat up in a Bradley, it wears on you. So I had uh, I had a herniated disc in my back that was pretty uh, debilitating. So when I was at Fort Hood, came back from Bosnia, I had it looked at, and they're like, "Yeah, we need to we need to do surgery." So they did the surgery, and after that, they decided, "Hey, we need to send you through a, a, a medical evaluation board and, and see if you have you're able to continue to serve." So they actually did a reclassification board, and they said, "Hey, he can still serve, but he just can't be an infantry guy anymore." Uh, so they gave me some options. It was like vet tech, uh, optometry specialist, you know, real real low threat type of jobs. Paralegal wasn't even on there. Uh, so I, I made my selections. I sent it off, and HRC came back with paralegal specialists. And I was like, "What the heck is that?" But okay, you know, at least they're keeping me, and then I get to go serve. So I went off to uh, actually at that time it was 71 Delta AIT at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Um, I showed up with a humongous chip on my shoulder. Uh, I, I look back and I just think, what a jerk! You know, what a jerk I was to these uh, IEP soldiers. I, I had a soldier ask me, "Hey, Sergeant Quentin, what is that you know, rifle on your uniform?" said that's an expert infantryman's badge and you're never going to earn it and that's just where i was at the time uh it was awful to remove my blue cord the discs behind my my branch insignia uh it was it was very difficult um, and it just it created just a, a not nice attitude um but that that soon changed uh through mentorship from my instructor uh soldiers around me just just wanting to pass on all the good that I had, all the stuff I'd learned in the infantry, because these young soldiers coming in as, as paralegal specialists, you know, they, they didn't have that tactical knowledge. They didn't have that, you know, that, uh, look, we can, we can die tomorrow mentality. Uh, so how are you going to keep your, your battle buddy next to you alive? So that all changed quickly. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad it did. And, um, being a paralegal specialist for the last 20 years was, was and honestly, uh, I think it might even save my life. Um, so as an infantry guy, whenever we go to CMTC, I was the first to die. I'm a, I'm a huge target, right? So uh, come out of the back of the Bradley, beep, the miles gear is going off. So uh, I graduated AIT in September, or I'm sorry, uh, August of 2001. Pretty significant time in our history. Uh, and I was actually on PCS leave when, when 9-11 happened. And, that, and that's your, your, your transition then to, to becoming a paralegal. And, and I think what you mentioned, having that chip on the shoulder, that's what a lot of MOS transfers from the combat arms specifically to the 27 series to, the, to becoming a paralegal, they struggle with. And, and I, I see them take two paths. Some end up thriving uh, in the paralegal corps and some end up constantly reminiscing about maybe what could have been, uh, especially the ones that transfer over as a result of, of maybe medical issues. Um, and so... I'm going to ask you, I guess, the opposite question. Now, having spent 20 successful years uh, as a paralegal, as an NCO uh, in the JAG Corps, is there anything you wish you could impart on those combat arms, uh, soldiers and NCOs that are are maybe potentially thinking about transitioning to the JAG Corps? Absolutely, sir. Um, I, I would tell them what I needed to hear back then, you know, uh, take what you've learned and be value-added. Uh, don't don't be that person that, that holds everything you've got. Uh, share it because there's people that are yearning to, to understand it. Um, and not just the, the NCOs, you know, the, our FLEP officers, you know, and the OBC, being the OBC first sergeant was a fantastic opportunity to try to help those those folks that are transferring from maybe a combat arms MOS or something different into the JAG Corps that, hey, you know, don't forget who, where you came from. You know, you, 
need to bring that to the table and, and share your experiences with everybody else so that everybody can learn from it. Because uh, if you hold on to it, then what's the point? And is there is there a way to teach humility? Because that's that's something I struggle with. Are people just simply born being more humble than than others, or is there also some ability to to teach that and, and impart that on, on on younger soldiers? I think it's it's a mixed bag. I think a lot of it has to do with how you're raised. A lot of it has to do with where you come from and, and the things, the way you learn. Uh, as far as humility, I think, you know, some folks are not humble at all. You know, they'll, they'll be the first to tell you how great they are. And um, you have to learn from them as well. You can't not take that lesson to heart because, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about, um, you know, once an eagle and you've got, uh, on the one hand, a combat proven leader who just wants to take care of people and take care of soldiers. And then you've got the Massengale, on the other hand, who's just constantly looking out for number one, right? How can I get to the next step? You mentioned OBC first sergeant. Um, now in this current position as a, as a command sergeant, sergeant major, those are two unique positions, especially in the JAG Corps. Um, have those shaped you or are there other assignments that, that you feel like have been career defining or personally defining for, for you? I think the OBC job, uh, the OBC first sergeant job and student attachment first sergeant was probably one of my favorite assignments. Uh, it was wrought with challenges, pretty, a lot of personal challenges, had a lot of loss when I was in that position. Uh, so it was challenging to show up every day, um, you know, motivated because I, you never want to let them see you sweat, right? Uh, when you're out front of a formation, um, Sometimes it is okay to let them see you sweat and let them see that, hey, you are human and, and you have uh, things going on. But gosh, I lost my cousin in a tragic plane crash, lost my stepdad, uh, lost another family member. It was, it was just it was a lot of loss during that, that two-year period. So it was motivating to have folks like you, you know, where I knew you guys were relying on some leadership, some, some molding and some shaping and uh, gave me purpose. But I, I'd say that job was probably – really great um and then after that going down and serving in the airborne community as a 39 year old guy went to airborne school as a 39 year old first sergeant you know uh that was crazy <laughs> it was painful uh but it was it was amazing right seeing you know as an, an 11 mike they don't throw bradley's out of planes so there's no chance really to go to airborne school um so when the branch manager said hey you can go to korea riley or bragg i said i'll take bragg for 100 alex um so they said, okay, you got to go to airborne school. I said, fine. Went down there, knocked it out of the park. Uh, feet and knees off. together is uh, difficult as at 6'8", or, or, or still still okay? Actually, feet and knees together part's okay, sir. It's just landing before everybody else, regardless of where you come out in the aircraft. <laughs> it's the hard part. Um, but no, it was it was amazing. And just serving with, you know, people talk about the airborne mentality and, oh, they're a bunch of weirdos or the brag mentality, center of the universe, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's something to be said about it, you know. Um, so that was great. Going to Bragg, serving in both conventional and then special operations uh, was, was fantastic. And I got to be around a lot of great leaders, a lot of great soldiers. And you just, you try to be, uh, you try to use as much osmosis as you can and just soak as much of that in as you can, right? And then that way you've got the good, bad, and the indifferent, and you can, you can mold your path however you want to after that. And then as it takes you all the way up to this current position, uh, Command Sergeant Major, here at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School. 
you have a bit of a dual role. You have, uh, on one hand, the, the command sergeant major of T. Jaglix, and on the other end, you have the commandant role of the NCO Academy. Um, how do you balance those two roles? How do you view your roles at the schoolhouse? Uh, and then, and then we can get into a bit on what you maybe see in the future. So, as far as the uh, the LCS CSM, uh, I see myself as the senior enlisted advisor to the CG. Uh, I see myself as the senior enlisted standards bearer, uh, the historian for the twenty seven Delta training and education, uh, and also you know, preserve preserve tradition here. Um, for example, we're sitting in the, the Sergeant Major John Nolan reading room. That's that's just a fantastic way that we can focus on our past and, and learn from it. And to be honest, or like the NCO Academy being here in the, in the LCS is partly due to Sergeant Major Nolan uh, and folks like Sergeant Major Nikolai and Sergeant Major Metcalf. So that brings me to the NCOA role. Uh, just having a hand in training our future leaders is just one of the best opportunities I've had. Uh, I don't get to see them every day because I'm doing other things, but having the ability to stop in learn something from them, where they're from, what they're all about, and then build that connection with the students is, is just a fantastic opportunity. Uh, and it gives you, it keeps, it keeps you grounded. It keeps you informed on what's going on. It keeps you, uh, in touch with what they're going to need in the future. So you talk about the future. It's, it's, what do they need to be successful and how can we help them get there? And, and what do you see for, the NCO Academy for the JAG Corps as a whole for, for the next, call it two to five years. I know sometimes it's impossible to make predictions because we don't know what's next, but, but what do you envision and, and, and maybe what are some strategies that you're focused on? I think we just have to keep chopping the wood in front of us for now until we have a delineated change or delineated new processes that we have to focus on. For example, military justice. I know we're all just chomping at the bit to, to get some, get some, uh, clear guidance on where we're going in the future with military justice. Uh, but for now, I think we, my, my goal is just to uh, try to get as many 27 Deltas who are serving in roles with judge advocates in the same training. For example, uh, the National Security Law Armed Conflict Court, the Emerging Topics, Emerging Topics course coming up is also available to paralegals serving in that role. Uh, so that's my goal there, sir, is, is to get folks into school and get them trained together because we don't fight individually we fight together so why not train together yeah i, I think that's something that uh jag Corps as a whole we can we can always improve on is the integration of an office some offices do it really well and some offices struggle to uh, include all judge advocate legal services personnel in, in in one cohesive team and i think training together is one one way to to get after that issue um sar major as, as we sort of wrap up here are there any Final lessons you'd like to leave, or, or, or final topics you'd like to discuss to the to the force, to the Jaguar. Yeah, you know, I wrote down this note before I came in here. One one thing that's just resonated with me ever since I heard it, uh, and I think it's something we have going on in our country right now. That if we if we took a hold of this and actually lived it a little bit, I think we'd be a little bit more uh, more friendly to each other. We'd be able to, to learn a little bit more. And that's um, listen to understand, not reply. And I think if we start doing that, we're going to be in a lot, a lot better position uh, as a whole. And not just in the Army, but uh, as a nation. When we start listening to each other and, and having that respect for what other people say.
Thank you, Sergeant Major Quentin, for joining us today uh, in the Nolan Reading Room. It's been awesome to, to get a chance to, to talk to you about your views of where you've been, uh, where the JAG Corps has been, and, and where the JAG Corps is going. So thank you very much. And uh, last question for you is that Taco Bell order. What was your, uh, what was your favorite Taco Bell order Oof, when you were there or Taco nowadays? Bell. Well, I'll tell you, sir, they, they got rid of it now, but the chili cheese burrito <laughs> with sour cream was my go-to. Uh, but now I think it's the cheesy gordita crunch. That's awesome. <laughs> Sergeant Major, thank you very much. Command Sergeant Major Josh Quinton, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Interested in providing material to the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate? Reach out to us via Twitter or LinkedIn at JAGFCD or visit our website at tjagwix.army.mil forward slash FCD. That's tjaglcs.army.mil forward slash FCD. We are always on the lookout for the next guest, topic, or discussion. As always, the views expressed in this podcast are those of the respective participants and do not represent the official position of the U.S. Army or the United States government. For the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate, I am Captain Justin Command. Thanks for joining us on Battlefield Next. Battlefield Next.